The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are you doing, Patria? I'm doing terrific, Patrick. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Things are a little interesting here. My boys got exposed to somebody who tested positive for COVID last week. Oh, dear. Uh, So now they're in full quarantine. Um, And... You know, 11 and seven year old boys um, and quarantine. That's not really that's not like chocolate and milk or chocolate and peanut butter or bacon and eggs. It's not a great fit. (laughs) True. Well, hopefully you figure out what's going on there and hopefully there's nothing to worry about. But it's that's definitely frightening. Uh, If they were sick, we would know it. They, They don't hold back. So, you know, so far, everything seems OK. They're going to get tested very shortly. You know, we uh, it, this too shall pass. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Just trying least, to stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, we're not in France. I've got a buddy in Avignon and France is on full lockdown now. And you've got to get a permit to go outside for an hour. Yep. So, I was, I'm working with a French person as well. And yeah. he was telling me the same story. It's very locked down. I can't imagine living in that sort of circumstance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we were to have that happen here, it's interesting because I feel like cycling and the ability to get outside really helped people get through the previous shutdowns. Yeah. So I'm really hoping we never get to that point that that we can see the the benefit of being able to be outside. (laughs) Which I'm not sure what other uh, governments, what the French government is thinking, considering I would well, think they had to have enough data to know that you can stay outside and, and stay safe. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to second guess it. Um, yeah. yeah. I, the thing for me is like, you know, Zwift is awfully good for getting fit. It's really handy. But when you need a ride to help clear your head, I don't think it's quite as effective that way. Nothing against Zwift. I really, really love that. But it's not quite the same thing as zooming through the woods. Agreed. Yeah. Swift has a good place. It's great to have that. But Mm -hmm. without fresh air, we all go a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well put. Uh, Speaking of fresh air. Yeah. We got snow over the weekend. It was absolutely (laughs) fabulous. It was terrific. I got to go out with my fat bike and bounce around in the snow. And it was just terrific. Wow. If you'd like to see photos, I posted some snow photos at my Instagram, which is at skinny tires. So feel free to take a look. Okay. And I'm sure we'll, we'll put one in, in our show notes here on the cycling independent. I will certainly provide that for you. Yeah. It was wow. great. How many inches did you get? I'm not sure what the official was, but it felt like four or five inches, a lot more than they expected. We thought flurries, maybe it had rained right up until it snowed. 
So the trails oh. and everything were really wet. It was very warm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anyone thought it was going to stick. And then it did. And that was just, oh, I, I just love that. It's, it's my favorite. <laughs> I, I just can't get over it. I, I just keep going back there in my head. Got two really good rides in, one during the snow and then one under the full moon with the ice and the crunch of the fallen snow. So both terrific, really great wow. rides, very different rides. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I'm, I'm not actually envying you, although it does sound really cool. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take my 70 degree days. Thank you. <laughs> That's the thing. You don't get how cool it is until you're actually in the middle of it. And obviously I'm not going to be able to stick you into the middle of it. So <laughs> you'll just have to take my word. I, I will do that. I will do that. You've proven to be trustworthy. <laughs> uh, there's a little news on the gravel front you might want to share with everybody. Yes. So Dirty Kansas has been deliberating for many months now as to what their new name should be. And they announced that it is now Unbound. Presented by Garmin. And this sounds like it's a, a name that's capturing the spirit of the ride and the the wildlife, the the Kansas Plains, yep. which is where this race takes place. So it's been difficult for them. They've really been trying to include the people of the area, uh, the all of the stakeholders. So I think they, they seem very pleased and satisfied with this so that they can move forward with with the race and, and and keeping everybody happy um, with keeping the con nation out of it because the con nation isn't interested in being part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we certainly reported that on that some previously. And uh, I was very curious to see how they would shepherd this through. And they seem to have done a, a pretty nice job of it uh, after certainly some big bumps. Uh, I like the na- the new name a lot. I think it's really neat. Um, and so hopefully this ends, uh, a a chapter, no event organizer ever wants to deal with. Right. A rebrand is not easy, but it definitely (laughs) seems like a good place to, to kick off next year. And hopefully they'll be able to run dirty Kansas or sorry, unbound now. (laughs) And I believe it's early June is when it's late. First week of June. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we will see. I, I will admit, you know, no, nothing against them, but I, I am not hopeful that I will be doing events in early June of next year. Same here. I had an entry to unbound for this year, <laughs> which I deferred to 2022 because I don't think that 2021 is going to be what we all hope it to be, which is yeah. a great community event together where people can share the same space. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, you know, at a certain level, I mean, I'm willing to do some events, uh, socially distanced and everything. There are some things I don't think I really want to go back to until they're run like they used to be run. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I mean, I know that I'm saying something that could mean like, Oh, you're not going to do any events for five years. Uh, I, I really don't know what it means, but I am aware that like there's there's some stuff I think maybe I'd just rather not do un- for a little while. Eh, yeah, we will see. We will. It's going to be interesting to see how this upcoming year shakes out. They just canceled the tour down under, which mm. is, I think that's a big development that that's not going to be happening since that's the pro race that kicks off 
yep. the new year typically. So that's where it begins. And we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of your uh, ride this past weekend in rather uh, cold conditions, uh, my pull this week has to do with apparel. Excellent. I'm glad we need to talk about that more. Yeah. So (laughs) to be honest, with the exception of places like Florida, San Diego, South Texas, the surface of the sun, it's pretty thoroughly fall at this point. Uh, and in your case, we might go ahead and say winter. <laughs> Actually, fall came back today. Falls back. Oh, 100 okay. percent back. <laughs> it's crazy. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm not through yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, cold weather requires some distinct wardrobe changes. I've begun receiving suggestions for fall and winter apparel uh, for stuff to review or just feature. Um uh, But rather than talk about specific garments for different brands, I thought I'd back up and look bigger picture at dressing for cold and also changeable days, especially the changeable ones. I've been reviewing. (laughs) This is sort of funny to think. I've been reviewing apparel since the mid 1990s. And I will say that not only is all the stuff out there better than what was available then. I mean, the worst stuff available today is better than a lot of what the top of the line stuff was back then. Uh, But we also have far more variety. There are pieces made today that weren't even being made for pros back then, like the thermal bib short. Um, So the first big, I'll call it philosophical tip is to buy pieces that offer flexibility. Rather than looking at a winter jacket, I'm encouraging people to look at vests and arm warmers. An insulated, windproof jacket, let's be honest, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, But honestly, it's not really all that useful unless you're doing a ride where the temperature starts in the 30s and stays in the 30s, or even colder, God forbid. Uh, I've had people ask me about just wearing a lighter base layer beneath a jacket like that. And I don't really recommend it because with a light base layer, the perspiration that you generate never really gets transported away from your body and you just end up wet. Uh, So wet and cold is one of those combinations that is also quite unlike peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, (laughs) Right. Avoid it like the plague. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I've combined a vest and arm warmers with a short sleeve base layer and jersey down into the upper 30s. Wasn't always the most comfortable thing, but it was still effective. You know, with this mix and match approach, if temperatures arise, uh, you can pull the arm warmers down or shed the vest or both. Again, with a jacket, you can't do much other than unzip it and it becomes a sale, which will definitely slow you down. Similarly, I'm a big fan of knee warmers and leg warmers rather than tights or knickers. I've done plenty of rides where I shed my knee warmers mid-ride, even on occasion leg warmers, although they take up a lot more pocket space. (laughs) Tights and knickers come with an added challenge, uh, especially in the case of tights, if they have a pad. If I'm going out on a super cold day and I know it's going to stay that way, I will wear tights but with no pad, and I put the tights on before my bib shorts, that keeps the tights from pulling away from my crotch. And that fundamentally is the issue. Your pad needs to be against your body, not 
two inches below it. And the problem is that with so many tights, knickers, they're just too tight at the knees. Wearing knee warmers or leg warmers beneath bib shorts solves that problem because the grippers on the bibs can be positioned in a comfortable spot. That's a really good point. A lot of people have knee issues because of their tights that are too tight. Yeah, it's just, yeah, so many problems with that. And truly, I hate pulling on a pair of tights with a pad in them for a review and I get them on and I wrestle them up into position. And by the time I'm downstairs to climb on my bike, I, there's room (laughs) there's, you know, like I could stuff a sock in there or something. I there's, you know, having room between me and that pad is just a total no go. Um, so yeah, I I've become pretty anti, uh, either, either tights or knickers with a pad. Uh, I will put those on before my bib shorts. Um, also, knee warmers and leg warmers are handy wardrobe wise, because at least in my case, I don't usually need to wash them after each and every ride, unlike tights and knickers. And now the comes now comes the first of several annual mentions of the secret weapon, thermal bib shorts. I'm glad you're mentioning this one. <laughs> this, this is something that I see in retail that not many people know about. Well, just finding a retailer who carries them, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of an achievement. So, you know, kudos to you. Yep. When I'm packing for a cold event, my gear bag always has four items, regular bibs, thermal bibs, knee warmers, and full leg warmers. I know that I'm covered from freezing temperatures all the way up to Indian summer. And honestly, when you combine thermal bibs with either knee or leg warmers, your thighs have two layers of Roubaix Lycra over them, so you really can't possibly be any warmer than that. Also, on those days when I know there is absolutely no chance the temperature will rise above 50 degrees, I'll ditch the short sleeves and arm warmers for a long sleeve thermal jersey and a long sleeve base layer plus a vest. This still gives me flexibility because for me, there's a big difference between 40 degrees and 50 degrees. Now, that sounds like a really solid plan. Yeah. Uh, Right there with you. And so as much as I love a great thermal jacket, and (laughs) yes, I do have several of them, I will wear arm warmers and a vest more than 10 times as often. And to me, the smartest wardrobe isn't the one with the most pieces it's the one that offers the greatest number of combinations because that's the most flexible. Well, yeah, that sounds like solid advice. I like versatility. Uh, oh. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious. I mean, mm-hmm. since you're actually dealing with uh, something much more winter adjacent than I am, <laughs> what are some of your go to pieces for this time of year? Uh, I find that in New England, it's rare for it to get warm enough to not want something on my arms so i'm definitely just going straight to the long sleeve jerseys Mm -hmm. Uh, it definitely also it depends on your arm shape some people have a hard time keeping arm warmers up or if they keep if they're able to keep them up they're too tight so they're a little uncomfortable so that's why i'm really enjoying the just a regular long sleeve jersey but here it's a little chillier we're definitely talking about a different climate than what you're talking about yeah, so I find this coupled with a thermal vest and a neck warmer, like a wool neck warmer 
knee-high socks and insulated shoes. It's mm-hmm. that's really really good for the lower part. Um, I don't use thermal bibs. I think that's more of a male thing mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. need thermal bibs. Uh, actually, I use I use tights that have a chamois in them, and they're fleece lined this goes back to all the stuff i'm saying all the time about fleece lining things mm-hmm. uh, and they fit very very snugly so they certainly are hitting all the things that you're saying that are important and i find that to be really nice but that's on a chillier day like mm-hmm. for the days you're talking about i'm not going to go all the way just the knee-high socks and and the and knee warmers i mean you're, you're completely covered yeah so that's that's Toasty. Um, and then, oh, a wool hat. Mm-hmm. Really nice to have that. With a change of hat and sometimes a, a, also a, a rain jacket in the saddlebag. Mm. Like just mm-hmm. just extra things. If you get too hot and sweaty, you really want to change the hat because that's just it's just miserable when that gets when that gets wet from sweat. And then the rain jackets for extra warmth. So. That mm-hmm. tends to be that extra layer for the what's going to happen with the sun during the day. And is the forecast really what the forecast is? Right. Those sorts of situations. Right. I I remember my time in Northampton. You know, we were one of those places where people joked about the weather. If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Mm-hmm. That's and what they say in Colorado, too. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. In the front range. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, having something that you could pull on in case it got colder or it started raining, uh, that's definitely really key. Around here, the only thing that's going to change is the temperature. If it's going to rain, you know it's going to rain and it's, you know, it's on its way or something. There are very few surprises um, other than, oh, it's eight degrees warmer than what they forecast the high would be. Those are really... Uh, yeah, in the last month, the only weather surprise I've had has been that we have beat our high temperature. Um, and that, you know, that's yet another reason why I often defer to arm warmers and a vest, uh, sometimes not even the vest, but just arm warmers, knowing that, well, it says that the high is going to be 62, but I should probably not trust that and sure enough it's 75 two hours later mm-hmm. <laughs> right and then you overheat yeah and then yeah. you sweat and then the temp- the temperature goes down so now you're much colder as a result of that higher temperature yeah, yeah. so that's a it, yeah that's a lot to to manage and also when i mention rain jacket it's somewhat for rain but it's a really nice warmth layer Oh yeah, like that, absolutely. That does a lot for for just core temperature. It yeah. like goes over everything and it just works all the time and it's light. Maybe mm-hmm. it, there are a lot of nice lightweight rain jackets. So yeah. it's just very packable, which is really important if you can take it with you then you have it. If you feel like it's adding a lot of bulk, then you're less likely to have it. Right. And there are even some that come, you know, where there's a a back pocket that you can reverse out, you stuff it into that and then you can uh, strap it to your seat. Uh, there are things like that, you know, and of course, yeah, if you're mountain biking and have a hydration pack, it's easy to just stuff something in there and leave it. Um, certainly it doesn't weigh as much as the folding saw I'm carrying. 
There you go. Which is more important? Pick one. Oh, the folding you're saw. St- <laughs> you're stuck on a desert island with your. No. <laughs> I mean, which, just, which do yeah, you where take? I ride, uh, you know, the, the population riding these trails that I'm, I'm on most weekends is small enough and all it takes is one good windstorm. And then everybody who's out there is busy clearing branches and knocked down trees and whatnot. So having a folding saw, I used to think of it as like a nice bonus. And now it's like, no, that's, must that, have. yeah, that's like a mini tool for me at this point. Um, yeah. So, but it also goes to my sense of the social contract of riding on those trails. Sure. You know, I've got a, I've got a responsibility to my fellow club members and it feels good to be carrying around something that not everybody else has so that we don't have to wait for the next trail day to clear stuff up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great contribution to, to the trails and to your group ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, back to a couple points that you raised because I was sticking strictly to apparel and not really mm-hmm. speaking to headwear or the feet, uh, you know, yes, insulated shoes, those are becoming more and more available. There are more and more brands offering stuff like that. Lake does it. I can see the shoes in my head and I can't. North Wave. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> North Wave is also doing some great insulated shoes. And I think something that a lot of folks don't understand is, some of those booties out there are so thick. And if you've got a relatively narrow stance uh, on your pedals, you end up with booties that rub your crank arm and really slow you down and can restrict your pedal stroke to some degree. Having an insulated shoe is really supportive of a good pedal stroke. And I think it's a, a pretty terrific way to go. And also, if you're buying an insulated shoe, that's an opportunity to go up a half size so that you've got room for the thickest of all possible socks. Right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Thick socks is really nice to have. And the more space you have in everything that you're wearing when it's cooler, that's air that gets warm. Yeah. So that, that keeps you, keeps you warmer. So absolutely. Very yeah. important. It also takes less time to get ready to ride. <laughs> yes. That is important. That's one more thing that's, oh boy, it's going to take me so much time to get out and I have to butts with the booties. And that could be a deterrent to you getting out when it's a little bit cooler and you're already not motivated. So having those shoes already ready to go, that's important. The thing I just remember for me was, you know, if I needed 10 extra minutes to get ready, if I hadn't thought that through and remembered that, there were group rides I missed because I showed up late and they were already gone. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I took longer to get rid of Correct. You know, and then there are other things on top of it, like, you know, getting out your insulated water bottles and putting a hot drink in there. So many uh, of these things take an, a, an extra amount of time in terms of getting ready. Yeah, that's probably true. a separate poll for some other time. I like that one for a poll. The things you drink when you're cold and miserable. I like the sound of that. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody wants to hear about that. I, I bet that there are, you know, let's go ahead and solicit input from our listeners for things that they have put in their water bottles to help keep them warm up to and including fireball. I mean, we know you do it. We know you've done it. You know, 
<laughs> Let's be honest. And we're then how long that. was your ride and did it contribute to a quality ride? <laughs> the next question. <laughs> well, how did it go? Fireball will definitely contribute a quality to a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you speak to the experience on that. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, let's move on to your poll. What do you have for us this week? Today, I'd like to discuss more about gravel cycling. In the last uh-huh. podcast, we were talking about how to get into gravel riding. And I know so many people are getting into gravel cycling and are starting to search for their next gravel bike or their first gravel bike. So I wanted to just discuss what to look for in a gravel bike. And in many ways, this list can be extended to any type of bike that you're looking to shop for. So the qualities that you want in a gravel bike at a high level, the maximum flexibility with the frame and parts, comfort, durability, and wide range in gearing. Mm-hmm. So first, talking about parts and frame that together offer maximum flexibility. One constant I've seen across gravel cyclists is that people tend to start in gravel thinking they just want slightly bigger tires for smooth dirt roads. (laughs) Then as you get out there and you start to discover the world beyond pavement, more and more riding opens up and everyone wants to do more. There's also some component of social pressure here. The friends are going out doing something really cool. Well, you want to be able to do that. So, you know, I started with one to three hour trail rides on my gravel bike. The next season I was bikepacking. This is very, (laughs) this is very common. You may not know what you're going to be doing on your bike next year, two years from now, five, 10 years from now. The gear keeps getting better. We're talking about tires last time. Tires keep getting better. There's so many more options. And the gravel bike is just a terrific platform to build upon and grow from. So think about that as, as you're shopping for your gravel bike. The frame and fork should have clearances for 40 millimeter tires on 700 C wheels. Mm-hmm. This is a good idea to have uh, fender mounts and room for fenders also. You may never end up putting fenders on the bike, but having that type of clearance is helpful in a lot of different ways. Let me ask you a question. Do you advocate enough clearance for 40 millimeter tires with fenders, or are you talking 35 millimeters with fenders, 40 without? It depends the use case. This is, this is how I answer everyone who, when I'm (laughs) selling a bike, well, it depends. Patrick. (laughs) I think it's great if you can fit fenders and 40 millimeter tires. I think it's rare that you use 40 millimeter tires and fenders because when you need 40 millimeter tires, you're probably in rougher terrain. You're off road. You shouldn't have full time fenders on your bike because you're going to get sticks stuck in your bike. And those fenders really help encourage things getting stuck in to Mm -hmm. the bike. Mm -hmm. So now the fenders can present a bit of a danger in that scenario. It's but having more more clearance generally is a better thing. There are some trade-offs. So depending on who you are, it may or may not, may not make sense for you, but it's a great question. It is something everyone should think about. So it's always good to have non-proprietary components and frame features. 
when it's especially good for a gravel bike to be as parts agnostic as possible. Here's a good example. I was on an adventure ride with someone who had a slipping seat post on an aero gravel frame. In order to tighten the bolt to make that seat post stop slipping, he had to he could not fit a regular multi-tool into the seat post top tube intersection. Mm-hmm. So this bolt was in a place where you really needed a long handled handed tool. And so it what do you do? Luckily, there was somebody in the group who had one of those tools. But if that person hadn't existed, that seat post was going to make him have to turn around early. He wasn't going to be able to do that ride. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's one of many examples of proprietary parts not being helpful. Say this person went on a trip and the seat post cracked. Let's say he over tightened that bolt, which is something that is very easy to do with a carbon seat post. So the seat post snaps. What bike shop is going to have the replacement seat post? Right. It's going to be close to impossible on vacation to find that. And now you can't use the bike. So there's, there's a long list of proprietary parts that, and, and frame features that you can find on a bike. A lot of them come in the, in the form of headsets, bottom brackets. Like these are places to look. Some manufacturers only have wheels that work on their bike because it's a special proprietary hub. Yep. A lot of, a lot of little gotchas that you may not understand when you're buying the bike. But when you have to replace that part, you have to buy it from the manufacturer. It may be out of it may not be getting built anymore uh, because a lot of times manufacturers will stop building those parts very quickly. Yeah. Well, I remember like with the original Diverge, uh, they were using a rear axle standard and perhaps even a front axle standard that was unusual. And people were bent because they couldn't use any other standard disc brake. uh, Yeah. Disc wheels. Uh, on that bike, they had to buy specialized wheels. Uh, so yep. yeah, it's a big deal, right? It's a, it's a that's a really good example. So there's a lot of those little things around there, out there that that simply you don't know that there's a problem with it until there's a problem, and then how do you how do you get in there? How do you make an adjustment? All those sorts of things. Now, a gravel bike could possibly need a frame warranty let's say you accidentally break the frame for whatever reason mm-hmm. you're riding through rocks and you know, you've got gravel flying up at the frame. Something, something happens to the frame when you have to get a warranty, which many manufacturers offer free frame warranties, but with those proprietary parts, you have to then buy the new parts for the new frame that also has proprietary parts. So that's another area of gotcha. Just, just be aware of that. Oh, and the next one, comfortable ride. You really want to enjoy the ride on this bike. You're going to be off-road. There's a lot more roughness. There's jarring. You have to manipulate the bike a lot more than you do a road bike. So finding a frame that has the ride qualities you enjoy is really important. You just cannot underestimate how much you want this frame to take care of you. When you're out there, obviously you're going to have bigger tires, so you have more air under you, but you still need a comfortable frame. So the most important thing there, get take out a demo bike, 
take the bike out, take it out for a long, hard ride and see how it feels. Mm -hmm. Don't ride a gravel bike around a parking lot and think that you know how it's going to ride off road. Take it to a really bumpy section and see how you feel. Can you still see straight or are you are you getting so jarred that you can't see? Well, yeah. Yeah. And then obviously an make sure your tire pressure is right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. This is all things to think about. Now, you should also have a fit like you should on every bike. Your fit's going to be a little different than it is for your road bike. Uh, you want a comfortable fit. Don't think about being in a what looks like a race position. It's okay that your handlebars are higher than they are on your road bike. Your handlebars will be closer to you. You just need to be able to manipulate this bike a lot more. And you don't want to get an integrated handlebar and stem because the chances of that combination working for you on day one, as well as day 600 into you riding this bike, that's that's it's two together. You can't rotate the bars. You're going to really want the ability to do that. And it's also going to be nice to be able to strap bags onto those handlebars. So mm -hmm. typically integrated cockpits don't allow for clamping or you might feel bad about putting Velcro straps, that sort of thing on there. So you really just want those to be aluminum separate. You can make changes to them. So durability, I mentioned a bit about durability already. More about durability. You're taking a gravel bike into terrible conditions. You could be riding through rivers. You're going to be going through mud. You're going to be riding through sticks. Things are going to be getting stuck in your bike. Is, is this bike going to survive all mm -hmm. of the punishment you're going to be putting it through? Again, on day one, you're not thinking about how you're going to punish this bike. You're thinking about how you're going to keep it clean and how good it looks with its nice, <laughs> shiny paint job. Well, remember, gravel bikes are happier if they are dirty. And you're going to be getting your bike dirty. You can clean it up later, but you're going to be doing a lot of stuff with it. You cannot possibly imagine doing with your road bike. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unbound, for instance, I believe there's a few river crossings. This means you're going to have your bottom bracket immersed in water at times. If you have a press fit bottom bracket, this is a great opportunity for creaks and squeaks and things that drive you out of your mind. Here's another another reason to have decent tire clearance from between your tires and your frame. Mud can get packed into your frame. And then when you're riding through that, you might not even realize it. You can be wearing away your chain stays. And I have, I've had people come to me saying that they rode through something for just a couple miles and that ended up breaking their bike. Oof. So, yeah. Wow. And it's sometimes well breaking a spoke. You can some oh, yeah. frames and tires don't have enough clearance so that you can't break a spoke. But if you do, the tires rubbing on the frame, you don't even realize it. And it doesn't take long at all for that rubber to run right through a chain stay. And leaving that frame broken. So those are those are really important things to to know that that can happen. You want to avoid that. 
So other things you want to think about what the bike can do. Can you put on a rack? Maybe that's something you don't think about doing, but maybe you want to turn this into a commuter bike. Now it's it's taking bigger tires, so you can do a lot of a lot of stuff with it. Maybe that's something you would be interested in doing or if you're going to bike pack and you might not be able to have the carrying capacity with just frame packs or and saddlebags and handlebar bags, you might want a rack. So, does your frame carry a rack? In the whole, you're going to be potentially doing bad things to your frame. You're also going to be doing bad things to your parts. So the parts that you spec out on this bike, you don't want them to be too high budget because you might end up having to replace a lever. You're going to have opportunities to, to drop the bike, the bike. So you might a, a lever or again, the twigs that get stuck in your spokes might rip off your rear derailleur. These are parts that you may have to replace. It's important that you're going to be able to find them at your local bike shop. Or if you're someone who travels a lot, that you'll be able to find them in a bike shop wherever you like to travel. You might have heard about Campagnolo's new ECAR group set. This is a 13-speed <laughs> gravel group set that made big news, I would say, about four weeks ago. I feel like we, mm-hmm. were, we were just starting to podcast together when the news came out yeah. about this gravel group set. And it, it sounds cool, but, and I, I am a campy fan. I've, I've always liked campy, so this is not anti-campy. My very first bike had campy, really enjoyed it, but it's really hard to find campy in bike shops. Yeah. So if you were to do something to any part on that bike, the chances of you finding even a replacement chain are very small. It's going to be hard to find somebody on your group ride who's going to have a quick link to accommodate a 13 speed chain. So you have to make sure to have all these things ready for yourself. And you're not going to be traveling with an extra lever or an extra derailleur. So, <laughs> not as expensive as those are. No, <laughs> right. that's not a thing. Right. And even yeah. you're not going to be able to borrow a wheel because the cassette on the wheel isn't going to be compatible with your bike. Eventually, everyone's probably going to be 13 speed. I mean, this is the way things are going for Ever. I mean, we used to be at six speed and now we're at 11, <laughs> 12. So sure, 13 is possible for the future, but it's hard to plan on that future because we don't know when it's going to be here. And are you going to be up without your bike in the meantime? So then the last item, I'm not even going to get into this because it's a whole nother poll for a future podcast and it's future show. And that is gearing. You want low gearing. You want it really, really low. And one to one, you'll hear people talk about gear ratio of one to one. That means that your front chainring and your rear biggest cog in the cassette is the same number of teeth. That's a one to one. So that helps get up most any hill. However, I suggest that one to one is your minimal, like at least as low as you want your bike to be able to go. You want lower than that. So there's lots of ways of achieving lower than one-to-one. And for a gravel bike, you're going to be going up more interesting climbs. You're going to have more gear on your bike. So you've got more to get up these climbs. You have these short, steep little things you need to get through or you need to power through. You really want that lower gearing. 
So we can go much more into how to achieve that. But typical gearing, a lot of gearing right now that's shipping on bikes is not even one-to-one or possibly just a one-to-one, but there's a lot of, a lot of creative ways of getting much, much lower than that. So there's a few things to think about. What, what would you add to that? Patrick? Well, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, we should go into this more in a separate poll some other time, but yeah, low gears, it's a big deal. I think one of the things that a lot of the manufacturers don't really fully appreciate, which is why we're in this position is that they, uh, so many of us are, when we go off road, you know, we aren't dealing with the same gradients that we would get on a paved surface. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Um, I, one thing I would definitely counsel people to do is if they're just buying their first gravel bike to talk to their friends about what tires they're running, because there's such a broad spread out there. And it's important to know like how much of your gravel riding is going to include pavement. Uh, how gnarly is the dirt that you're on? Uh, because like um, the the Rambler is a great tire, but that's a tire that I'm only going to run if conditions are on the softer side. I'm not getting into any pavement. Uh, you know, I need something that's strictly off road and on the more aggressive side. An awful lot of the riding that I do, I don't really need that aggressive a tire. Um, and an aggressive tire is going to be counterproductive to when I'm on asphalt. So I actually tend to prefer tires that are, are less aggressive um, and just have a wider tire so that I'm getting my traction from uh, a bigger contact patch. A lot but of people are doing that. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, so tire choice can make a big difference in terms of, you know, what your comfort is on the bike, how it handles and how good your traction is. Um, Absolutely. And not not to pile on, but to pile on another point with the Campagnolo e-car group set. Oh, my gosh. There's so much carbon fiber. I, I, <laughs> that stuff, yeah. it breaks so easily. You know, the only, nice. derailers, the only derailers I've ever broken in my life, carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever broken an aluminum derailleur. And how many times have I laid down a gravel bike at some point during a, a big day? I, well, I don't know, uh, but I could go back and review my Facebook timeline and look at all the photos where I took some, uh, a photo of myself uh, shedding blood, you know, mid grasshopper or something. So yeah, if I just look at how many times I've bled, well, the, the bike was on the ground. And so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not anti-carbon fiber frame. Uh, you know, I think I think people need to be a little a little careful knowing that. It, to your point, yeah, if you go with steel or titanium, you can lay that bike down a whole lot and not really have to worry about it. And that certainly is a nice thing. Um, I will also say that I still think that gravel bikes are really the province of the custom builder. You do better buying custom. Uh, so few production bikes out there really have solid clearance for 40 millimeter tires. Um, the the Factor Vista that I just reviewed, it's, you know, unfortunately an actual exception. 
Um, so yeah, I, I really echo all the concerns that you've had there. Um, it's, it is definitely helpful to have something that just like your apparel, it offers a lot of versatility. Right. And that's, that's what gravel is. It's the, the thing that doesn't have exact definition because it's so broad and it, it could be, it could be anything. And the part of the country that you're in really will impact what kind of gravel you're doing. And then that can change. That could just continue to evolve. And then your friends are going to evolve and they're going to sucker you into something that's crazy and long and challenging. And it's going to be really nice to know that your equipment is going to be there for you the whole time, that you're not going to have to bail out mid ride. And that's, that's the toughest for me to see as an event promoter and retailer it's so sad for me to see someone who can't finish a big ride. Like you put a lot into planning for each of these rides and really want to get through it from beginning to end. So when you see someone who has to bail early because of an equipment failure, that's, that's too bad. Sometimes it's frame. Sometimes it's the derailleur. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with the gravel ride because of all the demands on the bike. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't remember the last time I was at a road event or a mountain bike event where someone didn't finish because they killed some piece of their equipment on gravel events, you know, uh, stuff like bike monkeys, fish rock, or any of the grasshoppers that I've done, or yeah, when I was at dirty Kansas last year, uh, now unbound, I, boy, <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of killed bikes. Um, and it's, yeah, uh, that'll really mess up a day. Right. Right. And mud. Mud is going to rip off lots of things you can't imagine will rip off or make things stop moving that you just cannot imagine. Uh, But yes. So lots of lots of things to think about. Really helpful to talk to your retailer, people who see things that go wrong so they can tell you all the things that go wrong and you can quiz them. I I would quiz them and say, hey, what can go wrong with this? What kind of warranty issues do you see? Geographically dependent. Yep. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Thanks. Uh, well, what do you say? Paceline picks? Absolutely. Let's do it. All righty. What's your pick this week? Well, I'm talking about the arrow helmet cover and not Ooh. because it's arrow. Laser has a good example with their helmets. A lot of helmet makers have something that is built to go over as a shell over the helmet. The laser has a clear one, which is really nice. They have other ones that are bright, which is great because you can be seen by traffic, except it also says arrow in big letters. I'm recommending this not because it's arrow, but because it keeps your head warm and dry. I have a helmet set aside that has a cover on it, and I just keep it for winter riding. For when Mm. it gets a little chilly, that's my go-to helmet. And I find not having that airflow really helps my head stay warm. So it's, it's just, it's just what I use. It's nice. It doesn't look too dorky. I used to have a yellow one that said arrow and I felt really dorky. So I threw it away one day and then I got a clear one. (laughs) I feel, I feel less, less obvious about, about my head, but yeah, the, the warmth that it gives you. And then if it starts to rain, not having rain falling on your head is a very nice thing. And I always use a cycling cap that has a bill on it. And that also mm-hmm. helps protect my eyes and face from sun or whatever elements. So those two things together, just a very nice combination. Yeah. I used to work as a 
for a short period of time, I was a tour guide for Italian or American tourists in Italy riding across the country. One of the tricks we would offer people is when it was a rainy day, you wear the shower cap that's in your hotel on your helmet mm-hmm. that keeps mm-hmm. your head warm and dry. It's that is exceptionally dorky. It's terrible for photos, but when you need to be comfortable, <laughs> that's a, that's a nice thing. So now you have an opportunity to, when you're buying your helmet, ask if you can get a shell for that helmet or some kind of cover. Is Yeah. That's just, it just adds to your comfort level. Laser is the company that I'm familiar with that offers them in more different uh, helmet models than anyone else. Who else have you dealt with who's doing shells? I have not dealt with anyone else. We've oh, okay. we've been a laser dealer for a long time. The supply is a little more challenging now. So I know a lot of retailers that did sell laser have gone to other brands. Like Giro is a terrific brand. Bell's a great brand. Uh, we've stayed with laser because we just find they fit so well. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, now it's hard to get lots of colors of helmets and lots of varieties because Shimano is distributing the helmets now. They just yeah. import what they want to import. But for the comfort, the safety, the MIPS, all that sort of stuff, we like them. So that's that's my very limited experience. OK, cool. All right. I'm going for another category pick this week as opposed to a particular product. Photochromic glasses are on deck. Just last week, I was on a ride with a friend and we rolled into Redwood Forest and he had to pull over and take off his shades because in the forest they were too dark for him to see adequately. I've been wearing glasses with photochromic lenses for close to 10 years now. And the only time I don't wear them is when it's super sunny and I'm going for a road ride. It's true that not all photochromic lenses are created equal. Some transition faster than others. Some offer a wider range of tint than others. And only a few offer hydrophobic lens coatings so that water beads up and runs down the lens in wet conditions. The fastest changing lens I've owned so far is from Shimano, while the broadest range of tint was from Rudy Project. If you ride either near sunrise or sunset, or do rides where you go from bright sunlight to dark forest, I'd recommend having a pair of these on hand. Right, Patria? Oh yeah, I really enjoy photochromatic glasses because the light is constantly changing. Going under the trees, it's darker. You come out of the trees, it's brighter. The sun with how low it is in the sky right now. Morning becomes night really quick. They're really, really excellent to have on. You just don't have to worry about changing lenses or anything else. Very easy. Cool. Well, hey, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Keep those questions coming. You all keep sending great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.